of the city. I'm sure I will. I, I, and I'm a big grab on this. It's the Shig Show. It's the Shig Show. It's the Shig Show. So, um, I'm glad you came. This is perfect timing because if you'd have came in the last time, I wouldn't have had that book to share. <laughs> yes. And I have, man, as soon as um, we went to this bookstore, well, it was my 5K. So I went up and ran that 5K like a dummy. And my, my daughter and my wife went with me. And they ran it like dummies. I don't know why we're running. There wasn't one bear. There wasn't one bear in sight. I wasn't being chased by wolves. Nothing. What is it? Why do you hate bears so much? I've heard you say that before. I love bears. I was a bear. I mean, I'm right there. I was a bear. I saw you. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, well, I don't hate them, but I know they're going to eat me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're going to come after me and I'm going to run. But there wasn't one up there and we ran. But anyway, we get done. We went out to, to breakfast. Nice little place. I can't remember the name of it now. Just a... I don't know if you're on, we're close enough in age. You should remember the nip and sip. Oh yeah. And it was pictures of the nip and sip. Do you? That's awesome. So it's just a dirty old diner, right? I mean, it wasn't dirty, but it was what you think of a diner. The the textbook definition of a hole in the wall. There it is. That's That's exactly where the best food is. And that's where we went. We were literally sitting next to the grill as everybody's food was getting cooked. Right in the front window. There's the grill. It's to my back. And the lady's walking right by me. It was nonstop. One of the best breakfasts I've had in a long time, man. It was so good. Well, we get done there. We go across the street. And um, all my girls are are into books. They're huge readers. And I'm not a big reader. I'll listen. I can listen all day long. I'm very auditory in that way. But um, they go over there. They go through the bookstore. And I get done. I see this little, I don't know, just a little... uh, I won't say a junk store, but it was. Thrift shop. Yeah, sort of. It's almost like a man cave shop. Yeah. But it was like that tin stuff that's welded, spot welded, Mm -hmm. and like roosters and dogs and, you know. uh, And, of course, Yetis. I love Yetis. But um, they come out. I'm sitting outside in this little courtyard area, and she comes up to me, and she says, I almost bought you a book. I wasn't sure. I said, uh, probably for the best. And she goes, well, this one was different. It was the history of Blackford County, and it was full of uh, stories of, like, personal journals from people in Blackford County. And I was like, I'm interested. Let's go see. And uh, <laughs> you just hear you hear that? You feel that door shut? Yeah. Yeah, I jumped a little bit, too. <laughs> You can hear everything here. Um, so I go over there, and I don't know where it is. Of course, she does. She finds it, brings it over. I flipped through about three pages. I said, yeah, I want it. Oh, yeah. 125 bucks. I didn't care. It could have been twice that. I wanted it. And uh, I'm glad I grabbed it, and you're more than welcome to take it with you and, and check it out, dude. I know you'll appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it, and it's it's such a valuable resource because it's, it's at that point in time where it's at in 1900, so Blackford County was 60 years old, right? About mm-hmm. that, thereabouts, 60, 70. But there hadn't been, or I hadn't seen really any concerted effort on preserving that history. They were just busy living. Yeah. Doing their thing. But Benjamin Shin had the foresight to say, oh, we never start memorializing this stuff, right? right. And then um, I'd say the next would probably Cecil Beeson, right? Yeah. He was the other X-Link that preserved what he had said and yeah. took it to where I have vague memories of Cecil Beeson, right? Same. 
Yeah, I could I could picture him in my head. Yes. But he was a very old man then. Yes. At least he appeared to be. He might have been in his seventies. <laughs> I remember thinking a fifty year old man looked really old. I turned fifty in a couple months. And, well, and I know I don't look old. Well, I agree with you because it's funny. I've said this to my wife, but like when Archie Bunker started, he was forty seven. Right. And I'm thinking, Good Lord. Right. I'm older than Archie Bunker. And I think the youngest golden girl was like fifty two. Right. So I, it, it's hard to fathom and comprehend, but yet to me, he was a senior right. citizen, but I have a picture of him in 19, I want to say the thirties. So yeah, he was, yeah, he's a mailman. Is that the one where he's next to the, the mail truck yeah. or, or his yeah. car, or like yeah. a model a or something? Yes. I've, I've seen a, a, a picture like that. Uh, I, I can remember going there when I was in elementary school, we took a, we took a tour down there, and I was so excited to see the old Airedale upstairs. And I don't know if it's still there or not, but I there don't was know. there was an air. It was like the mascot, you know. It was on wheels, but it was like a stuffed Airedale, like a legit, real dog that had been. I've heard ma- stories of it. I haven't seen it. Okay, so it was there in the '80s when I was at William Reed, because I, I was so excited. My mom would tell me about it, and then I go upstairs, and there it was. It's on like wheels, and they would truck it out there during games and stuff but evidently there was a, a real dog as well that belonged to the janitor or something like that yeah i, I got that story um if i find it I'll, I'll reprint it but yeah that was the story uh i think his name was jack maybe an airedale yeah and he was brought to the games and um rick teats he gave me a backstory on it before when i post it i'll get yeah. like messages saying hey this is what i heard and yeah. bill clapper is another one okay so, that's what I like about the history is I put it out there because it meant something to me. And then I realized it means something to a lot of people. It means a lot to a lot of people. And I just I just start posting stuff. And I've been asked, why do you do it? And it's like, well, I enjoy it, first of all. And there's enough on Facebook that I don't need to chip in on a lot of opinions or something. Mm-hmm. This is just happy. And I don't know how you can be sad with it. And Yeah, absolutely. So have you kind of taken over... Um... The historical society, or <laughs> no, no, is is uh, is Mrs. Costello still in charge of that? Uh, Senior Costello is still there, um, very active. Okay, um, Mr. Tabor, you remember? Mr. Yeah, Tabor? absolutely. He's involved, um, which ties into we're doing a, a major renovation project for the courthouse. Yep, and part of that renovation was a appraisal. We had to have appraisers come in and do that. We thought it was a good idea um, to include Senyard and Tate, Mr. Tabor, because they had backstory on. Maybe they can answer some questions. So we had to take a tour of the courthouse with them, and of course, they stories here and stories there, and it was interesting to see their passion for it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got the appraisal, and that project's moving forward, and that's going to be it's expensive. But like I've said, since I got on the county council. It's not going to go anywhere. We need to preserve it. It is our iconic symbol. It really is. Um, Have you seen the pictures of like, from like in the 20s? I mean, it just became like a hub, right? There was the hotel, and then people would just um, hang out on the lawn, take it easy. There was festivals even back then. Right. I don't think they called it Heritage Days, but... No, I... Gosh, and and I, I remember hearing stories about it from my mother and I don't remember if it was just called the Harford city fair or not, but 
but that was a long-running thing. And I can remember that when we were kids. We still had a Hartford City Fair upstairs, uh, uptown prior to Heritage Days coming out. See, I just remember Heritage Days. Yeah. I don't, I've heard the same stories. Uh, I forget, I, I'm with you. I don't remember what they called it. Um, but it was a big deal. I think it was the Hartford City Street Fair. I think you're, that sounds about That's right. That's what she referred to it as. And it was big. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal. But that was at a time when there was so much downtown. Yeah, it's pre-80s. Yes. <clears throat> um, some of my fondest memories are Heritage Days. <laughs> I know, right? You know, my mom would set up up there. She had, you know, all this different stuff she'd pick up at rummage sales. Dolls. She would buy dolls that needed totally redone. And and uh, she would... Uh, sorry, I think it was... Why is it making noise? This is what happens on the it Chick Show. Always, like, it always happens. What, what the heck, brother? You making noise up here? I'll turn all that crap off. We don't need them stinking things. We survived without them. We did. I mean, we made it through a big part of our lives, a really important part of our lives, without phones. And I'm so thankful that <laughs> there were not phones. Yeah, yeah. Um, college would have been a different experience in the 90s oh, if man. there was Facebook. Um, good or bad. Sure. Um, but I was thinking the other day, I travel a lot for, for my job. And Google Maps, address, mm-hmm. bam, go, here you go, got directions. And I'm thinking, you know, 15 years ago, I would have had to have a map or printed it off, yeah. a trip advisor or yep. whatever they call it, and, but it was still paper. And then you had to find, okay, I'm right there, turn right here, and I got to go two miles. But now it's like, in 100 feet, turn right. Yep. But we did it. We did it. When I started working for J.D. Byrider, um, well, the finance side of it, and I was out in the field collecting, repoing cars, and knocking on doors, um, I had to go to South Bend. I'd never been to South Bend before. And going up to South Bend, first place I stopped was at a gas station, and I got a map. <laughs> yeah. And it was a it quartered off the city so that I started understanding, you know, where the zip codes were, just like Muncie split into four zip codes. And you could very quickly, all right, if this is, I can put all my zip codes together and that's where this address is going to be. And this zip code, this zip code, this zip But I had to have it on that map. And it took me about two years to learn the city well enough to not have to have that map. And there were still occasions I had to pull it out. But by that time, I think we were, um, gosh, Closing in on, well, I did it for, for eight years. And even at 2009, I don't even remember having maps on my phone in 2009. I'm sure I did, but I don't remember. At that point, I, I kind of knew where I was going all the time. But, boy, that map reading piece yeah. was important. Our dad's in the back of the car or, you know, whoever. Somebody had the map. Somebody had the atlas. You had to have a navigator. Oh, 100%. Where are we at on Interstate 65? I remember I was working, I was when I was in the Hartford City Police Department, we were working a case, and it took us down around um, Lapel Exit. There's a truck stop there. It was in that area. There's a pond there. And we were there, and one of the other detectives, and I forget where he was from, because it was a concerted effort. It might have been the Madison County Sheriff's. But he had a smartphone, and I'm like, I'd heard of him. Mm-hmm. So this was like 2008, I think. Yeah. And he goes, we had a dive team because we were searching for evidence, and it looked like it was cloudy. And he pulled out his phone. He then he goes, yeah, here's the radar. I'm going, are you kidding me? You got a weather radar on your phone? I was just right. I felt naive and silly, but I, wow, that is something else. 
So you're talking 2008. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Leather was in your pocket. We take that all the way back. 1836, Blackford County. Uh, I think I think that's right. Yeah. Around 1836. I'm not even looking at the timeline, man. I'm trying to do it by memory. And then I'll fact we'll fact check ourselves. Okay, that, I like this. So yeah, it scares the crap out of me. 1832 was the Reasoners. Yep. Came up. Yep. Uh, 33 was a guy named Blunt, Andrew Blunt, and his family on the other end of the county. So is that uh, the people coming up from like or coming across from like Vermont and that area? And okay, so. yeah, all right. So we still got natives living in the county. Vaguely, they didn't. They didn't like the encroachment because within a few years, it seemed like there was a lot of white settlers coming. Sure. In. And I think the Godfrey Reserve by that time was kind of on its way down. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. But by then, they, they the hunting wasn't as good. I think they said, and uh, my in that book um, that you have, I think they even comment like, "Yeah, there's just too many settlers, and we just mm-hmm. want to move forward." And by that time, Godfrey had already moved to Peru. Okay. I've been to his grave. Really? Here's an interesting story. So when I was working as a business development manager, um, part of my area of responsibility was Peru. And I'm, yeah, I'm heading that way from the Muncie area, and I'm, I go, I'm going to take 124 in, and I'm, I'm kind of just driving along and going into Peru a way I'd never really gone before. And I just happened to look over, and it was one of those mem- history, historical markers. Mm-hmm. And I just saw Godfrey. I'm like, stop the car. I'm like, what? I turn around, I go in there, I look, there was this, there, there was a cemetery and there wow. was this grave site. And I thought, this is interesting. So I get out, take some pictures and I thought, that's, that is interesting right there. I just stumbled upon it. Right. Right there it is. So I'm not the, uh, and I know I'm not the only one that has to stop at every historical. Oh no, I marker. do. It's like, oh my God. We go down South for vacation or something and we're traveling around and I see a historical marker. I'm like, oh, I got to check it out. I saw something about the Civil War on there. Yeah. I, I got to stop. She's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I do it all the time. But there are times when it, when we luck out. It's happened where I've had to go look at something and explore it. And, man, we ran into a Civil War reenactment. <laughs> and how's that happen? We were, uh, I think that was in, uh, that may have been in Florida. And she'll correct me, I'm sure, once she listens to this. But I think we were in Florida, and we end up, uh, out in this historical, you know, area, reading signs on how to get there, and next thing you know, it's it's like a 1812 or you yeah. know, uh, Civil War. I can't remember which it was. It was somewhere, uh, one of those two, and it was really cool. I mean, they were firing off cannons, and you know, you got to see the muskets up close. They were letting you hold a couple of them. It was a neat experience for my kids. So I. I'm I'm a junkie that way. We do it too, and a lot of our family vacations, we'll we'll try to incorporate a little bit of history. Yeah, um, we were in um, well the Jacksonville area, St. Augustine. Yep. Um, they have a well, St. Augustine is the oldest continually yeah inhabited city. What a strange like just being, and I'm sure you've been to other places, but. Um, we spent a lot of time in Savannah, a lot of time in Charleston, yes. um, well, once in Charleston, sorry, but Wilmington. So like we have spotted, you know, down the Southeast and that's a different animal. Yeah. It's a, it's different. It's built different. Well, yeah, that city itself, if you go towards downtown St. Augustine, they have that cat Castile de San Marcos. Uh, we took a tour of it. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. Just 
uh, unbelievable. And we do that. And we went to St. Louis a couple years ago. Well, that's a good cool place too. Doing some like oh, Ulysses S. Grant's farm is right over yeah. here. So we went to his old yeah. farmhouse, um, Grant's old farmhouse, and took that tour. And yep. We've been to, ironically, so we've been to Lincoln's home birthplace in Kentucky. Yep. Took that tour. In Springfield, we were at his tomb and went to his house and his museum there. We haven't been to where he was in Indiana. <laughs> we've completely skipped the Indiana <laughs> segment of his, of his journey, uh, but we'll get there eventually. But yeah. little things like that. We like going to things and... Um, Have you seen the monuments of, of Lincoln in Louisville? Yeah. Sorry for my southern Indiana friends. Louisville? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. I, I didn't expect to run into that, you know, and then you cross a river and go over um, over to Jeffersonville, and there's on the banks of the Ohio and, and the yeah. all the uh, the fossils and stuff. Have you been over there? No, but I have read it. Really cool. Uh, Clifty it's, Falls, is that what it is? Well, no, Clifty Falls is back in Jefferson County, so that's in Madison. Uh, but this is the Falls of the Ohio. Falls of the Ohio. And uh, it's kind of right where the locks are, but it's just a, uh, I mean, it's just fossils. Like you walk out onto a fossil bed and you're literally walking on fossilized earth of all these different, you know, organisms that were, that were alive at one time that have fossilized right there in the, in the sands or whatever, in the limestone. It's really cool. So does that go back to where I think at one point wasn't the Midwest part of the ocean at some point? No, I don't. I don't know that. I've 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 read, and I think you may have posted it, something about the huge river that ran through our area, the Taze River. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the case or not. And you know, you go back far enough. You know, what twelve thousand years ago or something? It, possibly i mean heck there were i just learned yesterday that horses originated in the southwest we said they came from asia but in fact this historian i can't remember his, his uh, first name his last name is west was talking about horses originating in the southwest and they were very different they were about the size of a collie <laughs> and as climate change occurred and you know here comes, you know, all these different phases of, you know, the Earth's changing. They crossed over Beringia and over into Asia and then started developing into what we know as a horse now. Well, then they're reintroduced by the Spanish, yeah. you know, in the, in the what, 1500s, um, 1600s, whichever. Uh, I'm terrible with my history right now. You know, it's, it's interesting. I haven't been in the classroom and five, six years now, and the amount of things, it, it's just like basketball. Mm -hmm. If you're not shooting free throws, you're not hitting free throws. If you're not talking history and practicing it every day, it gets muddy. Yeah. Uh, but it was really interesting just talking about, uh, this guy was talking about, he was on the Joe Rogan show, and talking about um, you know, how they then migrated back over through the Spanish and flourished in the grasslands again. Really interesting how... I think I saw that episode, because he talks about um, wolves and coyotes. Yeah. Uh, or is it a different... No, it might be something, maybe something different, because this guy, was it was all history. But he didn't talk about wolves. He was talking about the Canadian wolves they've reintroduced up in the Dakotas yeah. in Wyoming, and how they're huge. Um, yeah, they're massive. I mean, this area had wolves. 
there's documents. Uh, when I was down in Madison, I was reading documentation about people traveling from Kentucky and crossing the river. They would send six um, sick cows or, you know, the weaker cows across first to basically feed them to the wolves so they can get the wolves to come out and then they could shoot them. Yeah. And once they could shoot them, the wolves knew they had a predator and they wouldn't bother them. Yeah, I have a... So I have entries in that thing I gave you from some of the very first county commissioner meetings in this county dealt with the wolf problem. Yeah, and that cra- <laughs> they were paying for scalps, right? So people right. would make a living hunting wolves and turning in their wow. scalps and getting paid for it. We just don't think about that as a problem. No. Do you remember Chris Coy, Mr. Coy brought in a coyote. I remember. And it was like the first coyote we had heard there were coyotes back in the county in the what, late 80s, yeah. uh, but it wasn't an issue because we hadn't seen coyotes in this area in decades, maybe 100 years at that point, you know, maybe not that long. But So him bringing one in that had been hit by a car meant that the population was large enough to where one got hit by a car. That was the one I saw, yeah. Yeah. So I, I always thought that was really bizarre. And then turkeys. I, I I can recall going to uh, Kentucky and staying down in, in Gatlinburg, and we saw turkeys at our cabin. And it wasn't long after that we started seeing more turkeys here. Yeah. And being down in, in Madison, hearing about all the bobcats that are that are living down in Madison, and that a bear has crossed the river uh, at one point and been spotted in either Jefferson County or Switzerland County, one or the other. It's really interesting to me when, when we talk about um, – just the world in general, and and the impact that human beings can have on animals, it's, it's scary, man. I mean, the fact that we can impact an animal population in that way and then realize at some point, okay, I think we screwed that up. Yeah. We, we got we to gotta fix some issues here. To the point to where now we have bobcats back, we have turkeys back, we have coyotes and eagles, for God's sakes. I've seen the eagles. Um, I saw a, an old picture. Um, a deer spotted in Blackford County was front page news, and this was, I want to say, late 60s, early 70s. A deer being spotted was... Are you for real? Serious. See, I've never heard anything like that. I just... Even even deer. Um, but now it's... there. You can't. I about hit one every morning I go to work, right? right? 100%. Um, but they're everywhere. But coyotes are—they're everywhere too. Oh man, yeah. When I lived out on Twenty Six, we'd hear them chattering all the time. I had them twenty, thirty yards from my house. And they're—and they're clever. Oh, very clever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we could have swore at one point, like they were trying to coax. Well, they uh, so Joe Rogan, right? He has a story that a coyote—he called it honey potted his dog because he had chickens because he lived out out, mm-hmm. out in the area. And he said that he watched this Cody for like two days, making friends with his dog in the fence, right? And just being friendly with him. And the dog was like, hey, this okay, it's cool. Yeah. I'm doing this thing. But there was a chicken house. Coyote knew he wasn't big enough to knock over the chicken house. And then eventually, he said it took like three days, this coyote talked hit Joe Rogan's dog into knocking over that chicken house, and then he ate every chicken. Oh, my God. And he... This is what he's saying, and he lives by that, but how right. clever he literally, oh, that animal had the foresight for days to work this plan, and that, is that true? I don't know, but that was the result. I wouldn't put it past him. Well, that biologist I talked about was talking about wolves and coyotes, and 
of course, he's given the Darwinian evolution yeah. um, perspective that, well, coyotes had to become more clever because they weren't as big and vicious as wolves. Mm-hmm. But they had to cohabitate. So they were like, this is the branch that they kind of went, that direction they traveled. Which makes sense from an evolutionary sure. point of view. It makes me think of lions and, and uh, hyenas. Yeah. You know, they're cohabitating. Uh, they're predatory animals. One's more of a cleanup. You know? Yeah. One is, is driving the trash truck. Like the, uh, what's the fish that stick to sharks? Yeah, yeah. Fly, pilot fish? Yep, pilot fish. They just make a living off of sharks. And, living. Did you know sharks are older than trees? Did you know That's that? That's interesting. Uh, that's another thing I just like things I hear. <laughs> it, it's crazy how stuff like that sticks with you. You know what I mean? That was one I just like because I listen to podcasts a lot and I yeah. travel and I'm thinking um, that sharks have roamed the seas longer than trees have been. Wow. Around. That's just mind blowing to me. But so Blackfoot County. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring it back home. <laughs> Bringing it back around. All these different things happening. So Blackford County wasn't, you know, immune to that. They had wolf issues. They had, uh, I would assume, bears. Uh, I did. I have read some black bears. Um, there's like a similar book, like the what you have here, but it was from Randolph County. Okay. And it's been probably ten years ago since I read it, but there was some stories of some black bears and some Indian conflicts and. Right up into the 1820s, 1830s sure. still. Um, so they were in the area. I'm, I'm picturing, and, and I don't know if you, Shane Robbins, I think today or maybe yesterday, posted a, a picture of the map of Indiana as... I've seen it, yes. Yeah, so um, one of my teachers in Madison, Chuck Noonan, had multiples of those from basically the first incarnation to the next incarnation to the next to full statehood, yeah. right? So he had the one that had Jay County with no Blackford County. Um, and then, obviously, the last one he had had everything on there, and it was much more modern. Uh, but he got those from the state house. He just happened to be there. I don't know if he was on a field trip or what the scenario was. Uh, but the guy was a teacher for many, many years and um, happened to be at the state house, and they were putting them in the dumpsters. <laughs> we're talking full door size yeah. maps of the state of Indiana. It was the coolest thing ever. So when Shane posted that yesterday, I said, Chuck Noonan, if you ever think about getting rid of your, getting rid of your uh, maps, yeah. put me on the list, brother. If you got room, you have to find put room. Yeah. I will find room. I'll put them on the ceilings. I don't care. They'll, they'll go in here somewhere. Uh, we'll make that happen. But I, I, I think it's really interesting to see in that way, you ever look at the maps of like what this country looks like compared to this country or, you know, it, the various types of maps people put together. And I think it's really interesting to see how Indiana became, you know, worked through into its statehood. Um, and we were a territory and moved into that. Interestingly enough, I found out something as well. California was never a territory. It was a republic, right? Became a state. Went straight to statehood. Interesting. Anyway, there there we go on another tangent, but um, well, there's there's reasons why. Well, yeah, it was the slavery issue and population, and population, I mean, and resources. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to let that one go? You know, I mean, you got a state the size of Italy, 
<laughs> that's full of, of gold statehood. Yeah, here you go. Done. What else can we do for you, sir? <laughs> so anyhow, I think it's really interesting in watching how that evolution happens. I've always been curious, and I'm hoping you know the answer to this. I've always been curious how Blackford County becomes a county. Obviously, I know that it's part of Jay County prior to becoming its own, but what was the what was the reasoning behind, and part of Delaware County as well, I believe, what was the reasoning behind Blackford County splitting away? So the stories I've heard was we were by and large Jay County. We were like a, a large township, and Jay County just found it untenable. It was too far. It was inconvenient. I read at one time that it was just a swamp land. Yeah. Wasn't really good for farming. And they weren't bent really or married to the idea of keeping it. And then I, the, like the, there's a mile. So like a sh- we shaved a mile off of Delaware County. Mm-hmm. And then the rest was all Jay. Why it eventually came about, I don't really know. Other than we were just getting settlers in here and then... Um, we had Hartford City and Montpelier were, were developing and growing. And at some point, they asked for it to be organized. And then the governor said, okay, we'll do it. And he appointed the sheriff, Nicholas Friend. Mm-hmm. And I think he even appointed, like, the first commissioners. But then that order came with, now you need to have an election. Organize it. Get it going. And this is when the coffee pot comes into play. Yeah, the famous Andrew Boggs coffee pot. <laughs> um, as best I could figure, I, I always... I get lost on when I'm reading things and I'm trying to visualize, where is that? Uh, yeah. So like Andrew Boggs' log cabin, I think it was behind Richards. If I'm if I'm trying to read things right, maybe in that area, just yeah. behind, back, a little That's bit. That's where my mind takes me. Yeah. yeah. So I think that was his log cabin. And then, of course, the courthouse was built because it was kind of the high ground. Yep. That's where they developed it. And the land, prominent landowners donated land. Because this is where the, the chase came in to be the ca- this county seat. Right. And they were like, but we'll give you so many acres. Let's put it right here. And built that first log cabin courthouse. And it took them a while to finally decide where the county seat would be. Uh, Montpelier had a viable claim because they said, we were platted first. Right. right? We were out, up and running and had the streets laid out. And Hartford City said, sure, but we got some more people um we've got we already got a place for the courthouse and it took them the state sent commissioners like four times to come down and assess it interview it and finally they said look like in 18 you have to read it here but i think 1841 they finally said okay it's going to be harford city yeah and that's when it's like they were so okay courthouse and then it just went from there interesting yeah so in in this book over here um i was reading through and it was talking about uh, street widths, I mean, like platting the city out, 15 feet wide alleys, 50 foot wide streets, you know, all these different things. And I'm like, man, just thinking about um, being down in, um, oh God, St. Augustine and seeing the widths of the streets there mm-hmm. and the foresight of the people who are platting out Hartford City and even Montpelier. Montpelier is very well um, laid out as well. At that time, we're not thinking about cars. The car is is a very obscure thing 
at that time, um, and let alone a semi truck. Yeah. But the the idea that they they laid out this city with wide enough streets to operate large vehicles that we have today, you know, to take an SUV down a street in St. Augustine, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Tight you know, turns, tight turns. Uh, Charleston's very similar, very tight yeah. uh, streets. Savannah is a little bit of an anomaly. but um, So when you see these older towns, they didn't have that. You know, some of them didn't have that foresight to create a wide enough area. New Orleans is a great example. Holy crap. There are a couple streets there that are two-way. I don't understand who is still running that place and going, yeah, it's a two-way street and with parking on each side. <laughs> what are you thinking, you know? But I just always thought it was really interesting when I when I go to these different places and uh, see how the city is laid out. Obviously, this whole grid system we have here um, makes it very simple to navigate the town and to lay things out and to plot, you know, property. Um, you know, whereas this neighborhood that we're in, well, you got to have the sweeping lines and the curvy street and everything else, you know, it feels better. It's, it's, it's more of a modern out. concept. hundred percent. Um, but the foresight for our, our, our people of, of Blackford County to lay it out in that way, I thought was really interesting with, with the alleys and yeah and streets. i think the layout would come with just the natural growth of the city like I, in my mind i have the south side almost being its own little town sure i mean it was literally it had their own grocery stores yep. um the the belgium and french immigrants that worked in the glass factories um, they were they were there yeah and that's what they did and the north, the north part, they kind of did their thing, and probably back then you're talking there was probably on one road that really connected them. It was probably Monroe Street. Yeah, yeah, because you had to have a bridge. Yeah, I mean, you're not just building bridges for the sake of building bridges. No, because that's that's expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it is very expensive, especially then. A lot of manpower, right? Oh, hundred percent. If they didn't have to build a bridge, they weren't going to build a bridge. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine uh, was talking about his great grandmother didn't speak much English and how he remembers her speaking. Cause I'd talked to him about, you know, Hey, look, the South side you know, being um, French or Belgium speaking. And yeah. um, most of the folks that were down there, they had their own community, their own culture, their own, their own uh, co literal community uh, that operated on its own. And he said, Oh yeah, my, my great grandma, I, I she didn't speak much English. The English she spoke was broken. And I just thought that was interesting. That's a great-grandmother. I mean, that's not... Right. Yeah, so you're only, what, think of a generation as 30 years, basically. So at that time, probably late 1800s, she would have been, you know, born. Yeah, my third... So have you done the Ancestry.com? I've looked at it. So my brother did it, uh, and then I was able to look at his. I haven't done it. I why? I don't know. It's one of those things where I want to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, there are times when I'm a little worried. What am I going to find out? Yeah. <laughs> well, they say that with any um, genealogy research. Just be prepared. Yeah. Um, I, I've done it, and it's it, it takes up time, but you lose time so quick. Because when yeah. I first started getting into it, I realized, like, oh, it's been two hours. 
because it just leads to something else right. and other documents, and then you'll get hints, tips, and like, mm-hmm. oh. Um, but I, I think I have a pretty firm grasp on my genealogy because um, I try to verify it with two or three sources because a lot of times you'll get hints. Like, you're related to Scott Schick. And you'll be like, is that true? But you'll find out somebody else put something in wrong. Okay. But there's sources. So if you could confirm it, like, well, there's a census. And like, okay. Um, I think your grandmother was Marguerite. Yeah. I met her once on a case. Yeah. She was scammed by some hustlers doing a roof. Yeah. Yeah. Marguerite Fox. Um, I worked at, so I met your dad and yeah. your grandma on that. But so like if that was put in wrong then it would kind of skew it. But if you get two sources, like, well, there's census. And okay, that, well, that, that jives up and maybe you are. So you kind of confirm it. Yeah. And then you get a tree. And my tree goes back quite a ways. And the further you go back, I, I question sometimes like, eh, maybe. Sure. But it all makes sense. Um, at least up to like two or 300 years, which is, it's scary how quick For yours. Yeah. 200 years. But really you're talking, that's only a hundred percent couple couple generations yeah i'm already back to the 1700s it goes quick it really does but then i learned like so the closest ancestors i have was my third great grandfather and grandmother he was french worked the glass factories that's so that's how he kind of came here i think probably a lot of us owe our owe our existence to the glass sure factories and the gas boom it drew them here and then they would meet their significant have kids and then so that's how I, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. And then um, I have a third great grandma and grandpa from Ireland. Those are the closest. So I don't have any like real recent, recent immigrant. Yeah. And then on my mother's side, they were from Tennessee and Kentucky. And apparently we've been in America for centuries. So <laughs> they came over early. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what I, I was reading something recently that was talking about how um, and, and looking, going back to that map that we, when we were talking about how Southern Indiana is yeah. an influence from the South and people coming from Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, the Carolinas, uh, West Virginia. And then as you move towards the center, it's that wave of, of people moving from Pennsylvania and Ohio and the Great Lakes. Uh, are, yep. Yeah. And then the others are Northern Indiana is more of an influx coming both ways from um, Michigan and even Chicago and traveling across from New York and uh, just how different cultures. And God, I'm just tying this together in my head. I was, I met with somebody, I met somebody from Ohio and um, he was, we were talking, I can't remember Dirk, if it's you, I can't remember, but maybe it was. But he said, why do people from Indiana always say I'm from central Indiana, southern Indiana, northern Indiana? And boy, now it makes a lot of sense just thinking about it in that wave of how people have moved into Indiana and how their identity captures that. And That's something I never looked at that way, I guess. Uh, if I talk to people from other places, I've always said east central Indiana. Right. But that's, I didn't think of it as a, a migratory story but rather just to give them an idea where i'm at and that's what i thought but i almost wonder if it's just part of you know it's in it's in our dna from from generationally you know what i mean because i heard it somewhere yeah it would have to have been from my dad or grandpa or you know somebody yeah. has said that and they were like yeah we don't do that we're from ohio 
<laughs> or we're from Michigan or Kentucky or whatever. Indiana is very regional in that way. And I we're not unique though. Like so my family in Tennessee, it's east and west Tennessee. Do they? Do they Yeah. Do they claim it that way? Cuz I could see that. It's such a long state, oh, man. right? That's incredible distance yeah. to travel across. Maybe the same thing with Indiana. I wonder if people in Georgia do that. You know, because Georgia feels like forever. Yeah. Um but Ohio's really not that way. They're just they're a square. Just Ohio. But it's it's it, you've driven through Ohio. It's, oh, it's it, very it's, different. It takes forever. It does take forever. And it's very different topography when when you drive to southern uh through southern Ohio, you know, on your way to, to Carolinas or whatever, you take thirty five out of there, it's there's a lot of hills. There is it's some beautiful country. But you get back in northern Ohio, it's not. Yeah. It's just like northern Indiana. It's just Glaci- farmland. Glaciation. hundred percent, right? It totally affected the topography. So with and thinking about that, thinking about how we were talking about this being swampland. Yeah. And just the deposits. The accounts I'm reading in, in that book were talking about people ditching their property with wooden logs and creating these ditches. So they would come out and just like slash and burn acres of land at a time and you know all types of of incredible wood that would just be piled up and burnt to get it out of the way and and nearly every account that i read that talks about that they were like why do we do that (laughs) why do we do that well you had to get it gone and it was going to sit and you would have to move it and it was probably easier and more efficient to just burn it. And you know, think about this whole area being just wood. And you come in, you're creating farmland out of it. Well, if you can't, if you can't get rid of the water, you're not going to grow anything. Everything's right. just going to rot in the ground. But it was really interesting hearing about how they would create ditches with with wood. It, it probably hard for us to sit here today and think about how much work. These farmers oh, put in brother. through the decades in the 19th century to, to create farmland, and and we've got pretty good farmland today. Right. But back in the day, it was very dense and swampy. We still have bogs. You know, yeah. Sunken Road. Yeah. You heard the stories of Sunken yeah. Road. Keep moving. Well, it just disappears. They try to build a bridge, and it would be gone. <laughs> I mean, it's hard of us to think that. Uh, right. Out by um, a cemetery on 26 went out of town. That was. It's still kind of a wetland but it was they would build a road and within a month they'd have to build it again it was called i think they called it the trenton road wow i wasn't aware of that i mean i i heck i know we still have issues with it today eroding you know the in in the 90s i can remember that thing being shut down because it it had started to erode and even out there at at, uh you know lake placid corner huge issues out there with erosion of the road and and uh, with flooding, yeah, but it's it's all those bogs that we still got today right. that kind of affect things. Not as bad as they used to, but and that's all because of the glaciers. Yeah, I mean that's another rabbit hole I got on. Like we're trying to sit twelve thousand years ago. If we were sitting here today, there'd be like a mile of ice. Right, and that again, that's just one of those hard things. I like, trying to get my head around five thousand feet of ice. <laughs> And we're under it, and that's what that's what made everything. That's why Blackford's so flat; it just scraped, yeah, and did everything, and 
when when you go down, and, and I spent three years down on on the Ohio River, when you look out across there, and you start looking up the other side, so you're on one side of the river and you're looking up the other, you're like, man, that's a thousand feet of incline, about a five percent yeah to to ten percent incline. Maybe more than that. God, it's um, it's way more than that. I'm thinking about the road going up is about a five six percent. It you're just looking at this wedge like this valley, the Ohio River Valley, literally. Yeah, and you're like, this thing had to had to be full of water at one time. Had to have been because there's no other way that you're creating this valley other than water washing it away and you're talking about that mile of ice and everything washing down that way and feeding that thing that had to be a monster dude oh, just the grind and oh, the, the i mean that's the mountains and that's why we, we've got hills in southern indiana because you could you could almost not knowing anything about glaciation look at a topographical map and be like that's weird how it just stops right there at right. 70 right almost right. And that's well. If you read it, well, that's where the as far as it got in Indiana, they think, yeah. and it pushed all that stuff and made the hills. And it's mind blowing. It really is knowing knowing the amount of effort it takes to just create a driveway. <laughs> yeah, just a driveway to trench out a driveway to cut that ground away to start laying that bed, and then you're, you're talking about maybe a a foot and a half, two foot cut. Yeah, and we, we're talking about metrics and quantities that it's really hard for it's us unfathomable. to unfathomable. Like, um, so the the Missoula, have you ever heard of Lake Missoula out in, like, Wyoming? Okay. So the, it's all glaciers, right? You're talking hundreds and hundreds, if not more, of square miles. It's hard for me to put a number on it, right? But you know, all of Canada, yeah, half of North America, 1,000 feet of ice, or 5,000 feet of ice. Right. Well, eventually, some of that starts to chasm start to form, and then some of it melts. Well, there was like a lake the size of I want to say Indiana, okay, or Ohio. But if it if it gives way, if like a levee breaks, then it just drains, and it drains within like a week, and the erosion that would come with oh god, with that, and it, if you really get in it, Randall Carson is a, is a phenomenal. Oh yeah, that's another great listen, right? Oh there. my god. So then he'll explain like uh, the Spokane, Washington ripples and all yeah. the, all, it just washed everything out to the ocean. And you're thinking, wow. And then you couple that with Graham Hancock. I have mixed feelings about Graham, right? It's like, sure. it sounds crazy, but he's almost being proven right time and time again. Right. But then like uh, the, the meteors, right? If you get a good meteor to hit, well, it's going to evaporate and cause instant melting where's that water gonna go um right like there's one theory it was randall carlson like so michigan's always you know has like, the mitten well that was like a, they think it's a meteor strike interesting i've never heard that and they, they go in this is whole other rabbit hole right so you can like it would send like icebergs 10,000 20,000 30,000 feet in the air and it would land in like north carolina so you'd be hitting with a chunk of ice in North Carolina that came from Michigan. That's the size of 
we can't even imagine. No, no the can't size. even imagine. You know, I mean, it's bigger than a skyscraper. But they, but they track it right. It's almost like a, a forensic um, police investigation. So they're looking at the minerals. Well, they will look at minerals, and then they'll like it leaves craters. Yeah. And then so they'll they'll go out from the the opening in Michigan where they think it struck, and you'll see where they plot on the on the map like blood splatter, <laughs> wow. so to speak, and it it adds up. Do you think sometimes we don't realize how small we are? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, we're so ego-driven. I don't think we realize how small we are. It's um, about 99% of every species that's ever existed has gone extinct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're at some point, this earth is going to just shiver a little bit because we're going to become a nuisance. And yeah. It's, it's just bizarre to think about. And it's such a big idea that it's it's hard to comprehend. Yeah, and anything with space, right? Uh, you start getting into that. Black uh, energy, black matter, uh, just distances, right? How big the... We think our solar system. I mean, but we're... Well, we made the model. We know how far things are. We lost It's only planet. about six inches <laughs> from, from one planet to the next, right? <laughs> we lost a planet, right? Uh but what what we don't know is what's staggering. Is we just it's all theory and it's yeah. black holes and we're a very small planet in an average size solar system in a medium sized galaxy. Yeah. And there's billions of galaxies. Yeah. You're right. There's other life out there. Do you believe that? We are. Do you believe there's a life out there somewhere? I I have a hard time not believing it. I, I am one of those folks that um, I'll keep my mind open and not deny it to the like I'm not gonna sit here and go there's not life out there I can't say that because I don't know that and I can't say there is but I'll leave the possibility open because I believe there could be I believe there's potential for that I don't believe that I am smart enough yeah to not believe it oh yeah to prove it wrong. You know what I mean? I don't think there's near enough information out there for someone to say they don't exist. I agree. <laughs> if I had to put money on it, statistically speaking, right, there has to be somewhere, somewhere. You're talking our our planet is about four and a half billion years old. Yeah. And they say the galaxy, I think recent estimates are like 13.8 billion is how old the universe is. And that tick turd of existence that we are yes. in that timeline. Think about that. We are we are so minute in that timeline. Well, you think about this. So theoretically, there are other planets probably similar to ours that has like several billion year head start on us. Yeah. Where they at now? You know what I mean? Where they at now? And and I've often wondered too, we didn't always have an atmosphere that was what we have now. Yes. You know? Um and even in our lifetime, our lifetime, we have seen changes in our atmosphere. And I don't know about the whole ozone layer thing, but they said there was a hole there and that it has, you know, close back up for the most part. Um, I'm not smart enough to prove or disprove it. Yeah. And, you know, people talk about research. 
Research takes many, many years of expertise <laughs> to do research. You you have given me, um, you say there's 20 pages here? Probably 20. And with some citation and everything else, how long did it take you to do this? Oh, years. I mean, it's... Yeah, and, and it's of Blackbird County. Yes. You know what I mean? Of information that's out there, and we've only existed for um, 250, 250, you know, no, oh, well... Not even. Oh, two, yeah, not even that. 150 years? 150, yeah. Going maybe 170, roughly, uh, people being here. So you're talking about 160 years, we'll meet in the middle, of existence wrapped up into 20 pages. You're talking about the, our, our Earth and millions of years of trying to figure out what's happened. Are you You're not putting that in 20 pages. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? It's not one guy that's going to do it. And, you know... Uh, with some passion towards it. This is someone's life work trying to figure out. I am nowhere near the guy that's going to go, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. No. Can't be. Can't be. <laughs> I mean, well, that's what That's what I guess I, I find interesting about those things and in, in the, in the numbers that we have to try to understand is how little I understand. I mean, I probably the even bestest and brightest, they just theorize on like right gravitational pull and waves and black energy and what does that mean for us and what is on the other side of a black hole. I mean, we know they exist, but that's just speculation. What happens to you? Right. They can't. They can't answer that. Well, and those who would find out through personal accounts would never be able to tell you. I know, right? <laughs> or would they? Uh, Nobody's ever done it that we know. Right. Of. Yeah. Well, so it, I, I, I always refer to the wise words of Ted Nugent. Some people say we got to die someday. He's got news. You never got to go. You know, it's, it's Ted Nugent, folks. Well, okay. I guess to quote another musician, Hank Williams <laughs> said, ain't nobody getting out of this world alive. That's exactly it. Oh, my God. So Blackford County exists. We end up in a gas boom era. Yeah. And, you know, why, why is there gas here? Is it through that swampation? I think so. I'm making words up again on the podcast. Swampation. I like that. Yeah. Try try that one. Google that. Yeah. He's our Jamie from the Jordan. He is, yeah. I, Google I that. Google that, that, Easton. I need, a, I need an intern. Uh, swampation. <laughs> yeah. See if that's a word I just made up. No, I, I, I guess I, I'm not an expert on that, but yeah, I think it just came down to how all oil was formed. And sure. with that oil came gas. And have you read the accounts of, of cities lighting so many like gas pipes? Well, right here in Hartford City, they light up the whole city. They had what they called the Great Flambeau, and it, it burned down yeah. there um, by. Is that on Leonard? Yeah. In my head, it's on Leonard Street. Yeah. Right there, there's like a garage there. Um, Leonard and I want to say High Street. Yeah. And it would just burn, and they let it burn. And again, I'm going to have to. Estimate. I read somewhere where they think almost eighty percent was wasted because they didn't understand saving it. Right. They, right. It, to their def, to their defense, they, how would they? Right. They don't even know what they're dealing with. Um, how scary is that? Yeah. Hey, we don't really know what we're doing. Fire it up. Fire Hold it my up. beer. But it helped control it, right? So sure. then, instead of just letting it seep, it burned, and now I guess that's how they consider it being capped. Okay. I guess so. Yeah, if it wasn't, if you look at the, I have on the back of that, so like census records, and you can see 
the the dramatic increase in population. Right. In the 1890s. I mean, that was our high point, right? 1890s to probably like 1910. Those 20, 30, 1920. Those 30 years were remarkable for um, Harper City's existence and, and, and Montpelier's. Because Montpelier, I think, had more um, oil, actual oil wells. I think we were more gas, it seemed like. Okay. Yeah, and I can remember that. I can remember seeing the, the pumps out there um, all around that southern wells area, Montpelier area. Yes. There were pumps running in fields for years. Yeah. But they had their oil up there, and I think that translated into where, I guess, the gas was pushed south towards us. And we, we tapped into the gas, which was what they wanted for the furnaces to, for the glass. And that's what drew all the glass factory into Hartford. It's interesting to see the peak of Montpelier is, is 1900. It was a 321% increase in population yeah. in that 10-year period significant well that's a hamilton county kind of yes uh population increase for blackford county in that same time period was 158 or i'm sorry for hereford city it was 158 percent increase in population and then we peak in 1970 which had been the time the high school was built yeah and anticipating a continued you know you would think Hey man, we just we grew eleven percent from fifty to sixty, and another two percent from sixty to seventy. This we're rolling, and then it starts to decline, and then we see the decline. It's really interesting, and I don't think we've had a positive growth rate since. I believe right, it's been negative every year since the seventy census, right? Yeah. Yeah, Montpelier actually saw a, a, a uh, increase, 90 to 2,000. It was 2.6%, so about 50 people. It's really interesting to look at that and, and think about the city we grew up in. Yeah, and I guess not to get too forlorn, right? But it's like, to be that guy back in my day, right? Uh, it is sad to see. Um, yeah. Like, you mentioned earlier heritage days i look forward to that oh man and when it came in i had my bike i was up there and just hanging out with friends and um one year there's remember they had basketball court set yep. up there had three on three that three thing was popping man even when they didn't have a tournament you just go up there right. and you play yep you didn't play at hoover that that week you just let's go up town and play ball hoover right Park. hoover ball right <sighs> some great games down oh there. buddy hey did we find anything on swampation uh i made up a new word today y'all are welcome <laughs> Always an educator. Look at you. Just trying to trying to be the guy. I'm start yeah. calling you Shakespeare. <laughs> Inventing words, adding to the English language. That's what I'm here for. Just trying to help everybody out. Hoover Park is a whole nother anomaly, and I I find it so bizarre that it was a cemetery yes. at one time. Yes. And uh, you know they. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ask, did they get them all? It's a good question. I think it's a fair question. Um, I remember when I learned that, um, I worked on the parks department with uh, Mark Donathan and Ryan Mitchell and we would mow Hoover Park and our boss was Jim Tarr. And we also, on our mow route, we had to go out on 22, yep. that cemetery out there. Yep. And one day we, we were like, why do we, this ain't a park. 
And that's when uh, Jim told us, like, well, back in the 20s, mm-hmm. that was a cemetery, and they wanted to park there instead, so they just buried, unburied everybody and put them out here. Yeah. And we're like, really? <laughs> I mean, it was just that easy, but yeah. different times, right? They didn't care. Yeah. And they yeah. buried every... Very similar story in Madison, John Paul Park. So it was a cemetery. Hey, this would be a great place for a park. But it says not all the bodies were moved, all the all the headstones were. So there has to be. Has to be. You think about the way they were buried. Yeah. They're put into wooden boxes. Yeah. It wasn't like today that they're interred into, you know, these mammoths of a casket and placed into the ground with tons of, you know, documentation that follow. Yeah, record keeping wasn't up to right. snuff necessarily. Like the power station there on uh, behind the Catholic Church on Water. Yeah. That was a cemetery. That's where it was? It's my understanding that's where it was, and then they moved it to I.O. It became okay. I.O.F. I thought it was where um, the seed company is, right be, right beside where... Yeah. Um, because it Maybe. does say, I, I think the way it's worded, uh, it's at the the northeast corner of that intersection. So where the seed company is. Yeah. Maybe you're right. I, I took it different because this is things I read and I'm trying to visualize. Right. Um, like, have you read some of the books from the Historical Society, like Grave Matters? I haven't read Grave Matters. I just saw that the other Amazing day. book. Yeah? Need to get it. Okay. It is phenomenal. But you read these cases and like there was a... A murder at a pond out by the factory, which is where like 3M and yep. paper company. Have you ever been back in that woods? Yeah. Remember going back here? Did you go back here when you was a kid? Right, the, the pits. Oh yeah. Ramps and stuff. Yeah. What do you think those were for? <laughs> Makes you wonder. Uh, I'm not gonna go into it right now. <laughs> I'm not sponsored by 3M or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there was a factory back there, and there was a pond, and there was a murder there, and I'm trying to think, well, where would that pond be? Would that be on this side of? Cross Avenue or where where 3M is now or where I just always get into these little side things. My dad wouldn't have been able to tell you because he drove my mom's 56 Chevy into it. Into that pond? Yeah. So is it back further towards? I don't know. I I, I wonder, but I was told multiple times and it was, it had to be because my mom must've loved that car. (laughs) It was a, it was a green Mint green and green two-tone 56 Chevy. And I've seen pictures of it. I've got pictures of it somewhere. Um, and my dad drove that into the pond and totaled it. Totaled it. So I know what pond you're referencing. I don't know where it was at either, though. But evidently, it must have been close enough to one of the factories, and I'm assuming the old paper mill. It was the old paper mill. Yeah. Do you remember when it burned down? Do you remember that? No. I do not. See, I remember I was very little, but we lived on in a house commercial in spring. Okay. And I remember it, when it blew, there was an explosion. There was a fire, and it must have caught an explosion that shook the house. Yeah. And I, I remember that. And I couldn't have been three, four wow. years old. But I, I remember when it burned. I didn't know you lived there. Yeah. I did, I did not know that. For a while, anyway. Then I grew I grew up, ended up on the west side, Kickapoo yeah. Street. West side. West side. <laughs> well, I was a West Sider too. I was a Southwest Sider though. South, uh, yeah. Chestnut. We didn't deal with Southwest. Either. No, man. We was, we were there in the junkyard. We were junkyard dogs. Yeah. Got watch yourself up in there. We were hardcore. You know, we were playing around with antifreeze. 
running through a mosquito repellent oh, killer. Man. Oh, buddy. Remember that days? Good, man, couldn't wait for the fogger. Yeah. That fogger come through the alley, and there they were. Man, see all those bikes following it. I go, I'll be back, Mom. <laughs> no, you're not. She did not let me follow the fogger. Thank no. God. You know, I've, I've seen some of those folks that followed the fogger. They have like three eyes and stuff now. I don't know. If, well, uh, it makes you wonder, right? Because we are a cancer cluster. Yeah, we are. It, yeah. That's one of the things I remember as a kid. Like, oh, absolutely. There was the fogger. I mean, that probably wasn't EPA friendly. Yeah. But I'm sure that wasn't just our town. No, it was everywhere. You know, everybody had the fogger. But that's just something. Yeah. What makes us different than other towns. And like the junkyard. So I grew up like three blocks from the junkyard. Was there seepage of stuff into the soil that I've heard about? That yeah, I mean, they went through, what, maybe five years of court cases to yes. get that all cleaned up. And I was just talking to my brother about this the other day. You know, the the Lugelberg of old, who would have been, who started that, I believe, uh, it's, at least that's the oldest name I've heard associated with the junkyard. And then his son, Alan, who took it over. And now with, um, I think, Lou and... Is it Scott? I think so. Okay. Yeah, they've done a wonderful job. Absolutely wonderful job. They've cleaned that up. The property looks looks great. They've they've it really does. They've met every challenge that's came at them and they've done it right. But and, it was a, it was a scrapyard since I think the twenties. So Okay. Well it'd been there for a long time. That would have made sense. There was an old lumber mill um, on part of their property when I was a kid. Uh, there was this old warehouse looking Yeah, Mercer's. Well, not there, not where they're at now, oh. across the road. This was on same side of the road on the corner. So you know where the old laundromat was? Yes. Okay. So the old laundromat, and then right across the street from it, there was an old, like, mill where they were cutting the wood in there. Okay. And there were still saws and stuff in there when I was, I had to be, I had to be 10 because I remember going in there and everybody talked about the blood on the on the saw blades. Oh man, somebody got his arm cut off in here, and you know, mm-hmm. those are the crazy stories you talk about. But what I remember most is uh, Dwight Horsley getting in a fight with somebody there, and the whole time <laughs> he said pow 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 every time he'd punch. <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday, right out there in front of it. Pow 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 pow. I was like I was watching Batman in real life. Yeah, it's just incredible. <laughs> Wasn't our childhood great? <laughs> oh God, man! Oh, speaking of that area, me and Jamie Wittig would sit out there uh, while our moms were doing laundry. We'd we'd take fishing poles with us and one of their old purses, throw them out on the road, yeah, and they'd be attached to our pole, right? So we'd hide behind the bushes. Somebody pull up to pick up the the purse, yeah, and we'd put it over in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody put it on the back of their car, backed out, and it fell off. And so we, it wasn't out on the road. Sometimes we'd take money to the road, like green Monopoly money out there. But people pull up, get out. As soon as they'd reach for that purse, we'd reel that sucker in. Oh, my God, the reactions we got back then. If we'd have had social media, we would have been oh, superstars. You must have had the better laundromat. We went to the one there by the jail, the old jail. Oh, yeah, we had. But you guys had ice cream. Yes. Blue moon, brother. And that, that blue moon a, up there was legit. It was legit. And it was it had the stools. Yep. And it was a legit ice cream parlor. Yeah. Laundromat next door, right? Yeah. Attached to the building. Yeah. Well, you there's trade-offs, you know. 
we we were on the junkyard side of town. You call me bougie. You were more bougie. You had ice cream fireworks. <laughs> so, but anyway, so yeah, I think they've done a wonderful job cleaning up that junkyard area. Absolutely. And, and I was someone that openly was like, "Move it. You got to move it. It it needs moved." I was openly critical of what was going on. But I think they've done a, a nice job of cleaning that area up, getting it put back together, and I applaud them for it because it, it couldn't have been cheap. Couldn't have been cheap, no. I'm not sure if it would have been easier to move it out industrial park area or something for them uh, and then to do something else with that property, but uh, they've done they've done it, and they've done it right. And, you know, uh, my childhood home is now a pond, uh, speaking <laughs> of ponds, you know. So I grew up on Chestnut Street right across the street from the junkyard. And they bought that property from my dad and bulldozed it. And now it's one of their retention ponds okay. that they have over there. Um, but boy, a lot of memories going in there and picking uh, black raspberries. Yeah. Oh, my mom could make a black raspberry pie, man. But so, yeah, I would say, but so when my dad bought that in the 60s, he talked about it wasn't anything like what it became even by the 80s. Uh, it was a small operation, just a little scrapyard next to the train station. You know, yeah. there were there were train station yeah. buildings all along there. Uh, some of those foundations still exist on the north side of the tracks. Um, I can remember mowing for the parks department, and we mowed that area, and you still had to avoid some foundations to you know with your mower. But I, I can remember buildings being there when I was a kid. Uh, and even down on the very far end, so at the corner of Chestnut and uh, Richmond, there was a building down there at one time, like a train station type building uh, that would have been probably a checkpoint of somehow. Yeah. You know, um, boy, how the how trains changed the landscape of of Indiana. Oh, that's so. That's that's in there too, and how significant they they were and the impact they had and how hard communities fought to get it. Yeah. 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 So we went, we had the East and West, we had the North and the South. So yeah. we were in a good spot. And, and being near Muncie, you know, Muncie has trains, train tracks that run every which direction. They used to anyway. They don't have near as many as they used to, but, you know, having that vicinity to them and being in between Fort Wayne and Indianapolis and the way we are, very helpful as which, well. Which brought on said so interurban yeah you've heard all the stories about oh, yeah. the urban and that was it was used quite a bit well, that that was thanks to the railroad right they laid the yeah. track and our, our our location between muncie which was a pretty significant manufacturing city yeah and fort wayne being fort wayne have you ever heard how long it would have taken on the interurban to get from harvard city to to muncie to muncie yeah. Somebody told me one time it was uh, it was about a half hour. Really? I mean, it was because it was nonstop. You just yeah. zip right along. Hmm. They didn't go too fast. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think fifty-five mile an hour. But right. I always thought that'd be interesting. You know, mass transit. We've gone backwards in some ways. In some sense, yeah. You know, just the the ease and uh, availability and and you know of cars. Has, has caused us to go backward when it comes to mass transportation. But from what I understand, they're building trains up and down the West Coast now. So I've got a friend of mine that's out there working on a, on a train that mm -hmm. is supposedly going from, like, um, basically L.A. all the way 
north to Sacramento. Mm. Yeah, well. It'd be interesting. It to makes see. some sense, but it all comes down to, I guess, capitalism, right? right. Is it is it viable? Is uh-huh. it a, a good business model? We'll find out. It's a foreign company that's doing it. It's a, it's a European company. I don't know if they're out of Germany or Austria. I can't remember where he said it was from. They definitely look at things different over in Europe, too. Sure. So to them, that's makes sense. Yeah. But I, I guess it'll be tested with the, the dollar, right? I would guess if you're you were in that L.A. traffic, yeah, you would wonder, what the hell? Does nobody see this problem? <laughs> well, yeah, because you're talking in L.A., it's maybe... We and this is the other we we don't understand it. We we talk about well how how far is Muncie away from you? Thirty minutes, 20, right? Twenty five minutes. To them, they have to go even further. It could be three miles, and it'll take them forty five minutes. LA's not laid out like no eastern cities. Eastern cities, everything's packed in and goes straight up in the air. And LA's not. It's all it's it's laid out in a long long pattern. It was one road. The, the idea was everything would just go off this one, basically, artery, and your neighborhoods would be there. So you go into the central artery, you go down to work, you've, you've arrived, and you go on. Well, the crazy amount of growth that happened yeah. didn't quite work that way, you know. Whereas we here, we complain about, uh, we, com- <laughs> we have nothing to complain about about traffic around. No, I mean, you could be in Montpelier in, in 10 minutes. Right. We got it made. I mean, and that's uh, it's what eleven miles, nine miles. Yeah, away? something like that. Yeah, it I mean, would take you an hour and a half, two hours. Oh, it's insane. In L.A., insane. Just get out, get out, and drive into Indianapolis um, at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, yeah, I do. It, you do? Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, um, yeah. You're not no moving problem. anywhere. But you know, I was. Uh, have you ever driven to New York? No, I've not driven to New York. So we went to New York vacation and it was um, I have to admit surprisingly easier than what I was expecting okay I mean yeah it takes a while but um, they got it flowing pretty good and they got the the freeway that kind of goes around so yep. um, it wasn't as horrible as experience as I was expecting Chicago-ish I think it was better than Chicago to really be okay Chicago is awful I had to go take a couple cars from there a couple times, and driving into there with a full size truck and a car dolly to oh, go to go Lord. get a car out of impound. You have to go downtown Chicago to get the car to get it released, and then leave there, go back out to Stony Island, which is uh, on the south side, to go where the impound lot was then. It's not there anymore. They have developed that area. Uh, it was a nightmare. I had to park at a Staples like six blocks away from the building I was going to, go in, ask for permission to park there so they wouldn't tow my truck while I was gone. Yeah. Because God knows how long it's going to take. But I would go in there and ask, hey, sorry, I'm, I'm from out of town, but I've got a truck and a trailer. i got to go up here. And they're like, you're okay. Just park in the back. You're fine. You know, I would go up there and wait forever. They'd call my number. I'd talk to the lady. She would tell me I didn't have something right and that I would have to come back tomorrow. Yeah, that that would be a problem. <laughs> That's how it worked. I didn't have the I didn't have the proper signature. Uh, I didn't have a stamp or, or an embossment. I think on my um, um, notary public, <laughs> and this was a stamp, not an embossment. 
So that was to get a car. To get a car. Were you a skip tracer or a bounty hunter? Not a bounty hunter. What's the difference? A uh, skip tracer is someone who can just find find information about anyone, find someone. So if, if you're looking for someone who just kind of went off the map, a skip tracer is going to find them. Okay. Uh, bounty hunter is somebody that's after somebody for criminal issues. Skip tracer is typically somebody that's going after them for, for collection purposes. Okay. So I was... I, w- I hesitate to call myself a skip tracer because that's not what I did. Okay. That wasn't what my specialty was. My specialty was once that skip tracer gave me information to go out there and verify it. So if um, if Travis, um, he was a friend of mine, if Travis gave me information and said, hey, I found so-and-so, here's where it says they're living, I would go out and physically verify it. And if the car was there, I'd take it. If the car wasn't there, I'd find out where that car was. Oh, it was always it was interesting. So you did it back in uh, the pioneer days too. So yeah, it'd be a lot easier today, right? Well, oh my not. God, it would be so much easier today with open source information. Oh, oh my God, oh, it's not even the same game, man. Yeah. Like yeah, uh, social media for one is is a game changer. Nobody can nobody can keep their mouth shut, you know. So if you give me part of somebody's name. Or someone they're associated with and why they're associated, I'll find out who they are. I can come up with a picture of them very quickly. Yeah. Within within an hour. Yeah. I can come up with that information. And most people probably could too. I've practiced at it, so it's like almost in my blood. So I think that's why my my kids are very hesitant to tell me anything about the boys they're dating. Yeah, that's it's reasonable because <laughs> as soon as I find out one tidbit of information, all I need is an initial for the most part and where they met them and it's, it's game on. Yeah. So I know Addison listens to my podcast and Jocelyn does most of the time too. And, uh, so yeah, I think they're very guarded with what, the, what they share with me. I can't blame them. Uh, I can't help it. Number one, I'm a dad, and you're two, dad, you're bloodhound by nature. I am a bloodhound by nature. I mean, um, I get it. I'm, I'm that way too. I, I was I was born in I was born and bred by two nibshits, and you know that's a term a lot of people don't know. Really? Yeah. Is that an Indiana thing or a Midwestern thing? I think it's a Central Indiana thing, because I was down Southern Indiana, and they're like, "What's a nibshit?" I'm like, "Really?" That's Southern Indiana. Really? You don't? No, I never heard that before. I'm like, are you a nib nose? No, what is that? I'm like, come on, man. You're playing with me. No, I've never heard that term. What's it mean? <laughs> well, I was when I was at IU in 93 is when I went. Um, I learned that a toboggan, the difference between what I thought a toboggan was, right? Okay. Between a hat and a sled. Right? Yeah. So did you think it was the hat or the sled? Sled. I did too. Yeah. I would say I was probably in my 20s, first time somebody called the hat version a toboggan. Well, they call, so like I had friends from bigger cities and they, they thought I was a hillbilly. I'm like, I'm not a hillbilly. I'm, <laughs> there's no hills in Indiana or a creek or a creek. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be like, I bet back they call it a creek. I'm like, yeah, lit creek. And they yeah, go, what else? What is it called? Is there something else? Creek, I guess. Lit creek. Who would say that? It's not even spelled that way. Well, is, not I, when I write it anyway. No. Uh, <laughs> Caddy Wampus. Yeah, Caddy Wampus, absolutely. That's another one. Who doesn't who doesn't say that? 
You know, one thing, though, that I've refrained from is washing my clothes. <laughs> yeah. I don't wash my clothes or wrench off my hands um, you know, or change my oral, you know, or any of those in combination. Um, but my dad, well, I don't know that my dad uh, washed, rent, he did wrench every once in a while. Um, I don't think he said wash or oral, but my grandpa did, and he was from Dunkirk, uh, my grandpa Fox. And he would he would wash his hands and change his oral, wash yeah, uh, wash yeah. him up. And then I, my brother and his wife they say it. So, but I don't think Bill listens to my podcast, so I can say whatever I want about Bill. <laughs> <laughs> but we were in uh, we were in D.C. a couple years ago, and uh, the guy that was t- giving us a tour of the National Cathedral was talking about the windows, windows, and I'm like, oh, I can't let that go. I'm trying, but I'm there with a bunch of eighth graders, Jack. I can't, I can't just let that go. You know, so he keeps saying windows. And one of my friends at the time, I'm like, hey, man, um, I've got to say something to him. i got to ask him if he washes the windows. <laughs> so I did. I, and I, there weren't any kids around, but the other fellow was. Ron was around, and I just walked out. I'm like, hey, man. I said, um, boy, there's a lot of windows here. Who washes them? I don't know. I I said, do you think the rain wrenches them off? <laughs> I just kept going, and he's looking at me. Ron's looking at me like, oh, my God. But the other guy wasn't getting it, right? He had no clue. No clue. No clue. And I didn't laugh at him. And, you know, I mean, it was clearly for our comedic relief later on. Oh, yeah. So. Well, it's like, uh, so, like, uh, toilet? Have you ever heard of a turlet? Toilet, yeah. Turlet or an idea? Oh. I got, I got me an idea about I think that. my dad had ideas every once in a while. They, yeah. that's, that's like an East Coast thing. I think if it ends so. in a, it ends in like an er when it's like, there's no R there. It must be the Pennsylvania coming through with like all the Pennsylvania? R's. Yeah, you know. Wow. I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be something. It's coming from a cultural thing that is carried on. My, my sister-in-law talks about getting a pallet prepared for when her grandkids stay at their house. Have you ever prepared a pallet for someone to sleep on? No. I wonder if that's... So she's from the south side, and I wonder if that's something that's carried through. So a pallet is just laying a blanket and a, and a uh, pillow on the floor. That's preparing a pallet. You don't know what the origins of that are? I don't. And, and I think I've looked it up before, and it just kind of... It just says, yeah, pallet is this. But it, it's got to have some kind of... Uh, European flair to it, like a French military term. Yeah, yeah, Pallet. that would make sense. And and she's she is, you know, deep in the lineage of the South Side, and I'm sure it's going to come through, you know, with um, with her family. You know, mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean the Leffingwells are, um, that that would be probably within the reach of Belgian French. Yeah, or German, one or the other. You know, it's got to be something like that. I'm not a nameologist. Look that up. See if that's a real thing too. We have now determined that nameologist. Uh, nameologist. I think uh, they call it etymologist, don't they? Etymology. Entomology. That's words. And then there's another one that's for insects. Entomology might be insects. And then there's another one that's very close to it that's for words. Etymology. Etymology. Maybe. Yeah. It's one is one is one one is the other. Nameology. It's easy. Nameology. Did you look it up? He's looking it up now. Yeah. I'm giving you a few new words here on the Shick Show experience. 
Yeah, you don't get that anywhere else. No, I, I try. I try and give everybody a little bit of culture. You know, yeah. you got to rise above your raisin. That's one of my favorite uh, yeah. Dr. Philisms. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, man, we got a lot. We got a lot covered here. We got a lot more to cover. So what I'm thinking about is a way to do some sort of um, once every six weeks, some sort of history podcast on here. Yeah. Whether it's Blacker County, Hartford City, Indiana, United States, whatever. Uh, there's a few of us around. There's another guy, Steve Hurd. Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know Steve. I don't want not. to brag, but you know, I told you I've been on the radio before, <laughs> twice. But I've also been on Steve Hurd's podcast. He had a podcast. I was on him, his, his oh, pre-COVID, I guess. Well, you've heard me talk about this. The whole reason for this is Steve Hurd. I've heard that, yeah. You know, it, uh, Steve Hurd is the um, epicenter of the Shick Show podcast. When I started putting this together, he's the first person I went to. Well, you have to because, again, not to brag, but <laughs> I I was on, not only on his podcast, but also there was two or three games. Um, I was a broadcaster with him for uh, the Luke Brown era, and those are those are well watched uh, episodes of. So yeah, sports. dozens and dozens of people have heard me talk. I, at least six people have heard you today. Yeah. No, but yeah, Steve Hurd was, uh, he was the first guy and it, I saw all the equipment and what yeah. went into it. And then I talked to him a lot of about local history that yeah. we talked about. I, I listened to your episode with him Yeah, on this one and that, that's a whole fascinating Oh man, isn't story. that crazy? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I worked with Steve for years. At the police department? Yeah, and I never knew that. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know his story like that. Isn't so that, that crazy? Yeah. I mean, that was one of the big things I, that I wanted to come out in this. It's just interesting stuff. And I've said it repeatedly that ordinary people have extraordinary stories. Yeah. And um, he and I have actually talked about him coming on here and interviewing me. You should do that. That would be interesting. Switching seats. Because it's we talked a while back about um, doing like, like a podcast, but not... Um, a scheduled, it's just an informal. Yeah. Um, about uh, Medal of Honor recipients. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Because it's funny you say that because to me it was like there are stories about just ordinary people who go in the military, find themselves in extraordinary yeah. circumstances, and rise to the occasion. Yeah. And did amazing things. You know, my wheels are turning right now. That's. Yeah, cause I, I've read some stories of because we were going to do that. Just time and. Again, he had different job obligations than me, and right. But there's a lot of that. That's that may be a good whole vein for you to explore because a lot of them who won these medals um, and lived, right? Um, we're just man, just me and you, right? Right. But we're in a situation that we can't even begin to fathom. But they rose to the occasion, and you know, based on my police training, that they they fell back on their training. Yeah, and did what they would were trained to do and didn't, and it, and it helped save lives. I wonder sometimes how reluctant they would be to share that. Most of them would be, I would assume. I agree. Just the ones I've encountered where, you know, people have, have been in, you know, peril in that way. They're not really excited to share that. And part of me totally gets it. Um, there are... There are things you do it because you're you're supposed to. That's who that's who does that. 
are the people who are supposed to. They're there for a reason. And I'm not getting into the whole, you know, everything happens for a reason piece. But there are people in place at times. And, um, you know, when, when you think about the military piece of it, they are bringing in quantities of, of men and women to do that job, hoping that one of them will be in the right place at the right time yeah. to do that job. And in that quantity, they're playing the odds, and they're going, out of these hundred, there might be two. There might be one. Heck, there might be none in this group of hundred. But we're betting that there's going to be one or two that's going to step up and do the job when they have to. And it's going to save all those others who are then one of them is going to stand in and fill a void, you know? Well, that, that goes back to the Greeks, right? Her- yeah. Heraclitus, right? He, yep. he had the famous poem, you send me a hundred men, 90 of them shouldn't even be here. Right. Nine of them will be okay, but that one. I need that one. Give me that one. Yep. And he'll, he'll change yep. everything. And that goes back 2,000 years, 3,000 years. Uh, man, I bet even longer. Probably. You know? I yep. mean, we just incredible people out there um, that have had some experiences. I'm sure there were things that happened with you on the police department that you're like, that's a pretty incredible story. Yeah. Just don't care to share, you know? Yeah. It's, there's a lot of sadness out there and everybody has a story and people will say, well, Harvard's a small town, but it has its issues that every town has. It's just maybe not on the, the scale. Right. But there are, do you think the percentages are pretty much the same, though? I always wondered that. So I think the ratio is the same. Yeah. Um, because we are fortunate with uh, violent crimes aren't as high as, say, Muncie or Indianapolis. Right. If you look on the scale, it's probably close to being the same. And even if it's a little less, um, we still have to deal with it at some point. Sure. And there's just there's a lot of tragedy out there, and everybody has a story. And um, I'd like to think my time as a police officer made me appreciate people more. Mm-hmm. That they're going through something that they won't, you don't know. And we get called to people at their lowest point a lot of times. Right. And how they respond to that, you can't take it personal, or you try not to. Right. Um, but you know, even in in Blackford County, that's been a lot of things out there and it's it is sad and tragic but um you, you try to help them out as best you can and hope the system gives them a little bit of peace and yeah. things like that way off topic kind of on topic where we're at now but i i'm i'm not the um true crime podcast but there is one um out there that i would love to explore and it's the uh, there was a man who lived in an apartment next to where the um, Stardust was. I believe is where he lived. Okay. And I think he worked at Marsh. Yeah. You recall this? Oh yeah. I, I've um, yeah. Has that been solved? No. So here's a here I, here's a story. So I came on as a patrolman, and. Me and Matt Felber were working one night patrol. Now, when the murder happened, I was a senior in high school. And right. you, you, were, you guys had moved on. So, I remember the story. Alan Lehman. Is, is that the, his name? That's his okay, name. Okay, that sounds really familiar. Alan Lehman 
was a manager at Marsh and was was killed in October of 92. Okay. Stabbed several times in his kitchen, right? Well, me and Matt kind of stumbled upon the case file, and it, of course it had gone cold by that time, several years, by the time me and Matt saw it, and we were interested in it because um, we were bloodhounds by nature too. Sure. And we thought, okay, something could be done with this but we we helped preserve a lot of the evidence right because it was by that time it was old it's getting old well then i got to detective and matt felver was the chief and like one, on his first day we were like hey we're in a position now let's, let's reopen that and we did and uh, brought in jeff Sones because uh, he was he was there at the time okay so we brought him in. We interviewed all the old detectives who retired. Rich Anderson, Phil Laux. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just to preserve it. Well, then a lot of it was on videotape. Right? Remember cassettes? Yeah. Well, we thought we need to digitize it. So we started preserving that and going through their no- I mean, boxes. You can't imagine. Boxes of stuff. And the leads they were looking at and exhausted. And um, But we, we ran with it for a while and interviewed some other people and... I, I guess if we're going to get the true crime podcast, uh, I think I know who did it. Um, Interesting. Uh, Matt has another take on it, which is part of the problem, right? Yeah. Um, but it is a fascinating story. and um, That'd be one. Um, we've talked about, um, what's his name? He's a um, retired state trooper, and he's friends with like Pat McAtee. McAfee, the kick, the former punter. Okay. He's on. He's been on. I think Bob and Tom before. Okay. But he has a podcast, and um, he did one on the Burger Chef murders in Indianapolis. Do you remember that? Like in the eighties. Do yeah, and I've probably heard about it more than I remember. Probably. Yeah. And that's a. If you get a read about that, that's okay. a fascinating story, and that's a cold case with the state police, and again they they. They say they don't like to say it was unsolved. They think they know who did it, but then you get into a problem with who was the prosecutor at the time and mm-hmm. does he like the evidence. And mm. by this time, they think the suspects are like in their seventies. Oh wow! But anyway, so I talked to him. Actually, I reached out to him. I said, "Would you be interested in doing Alan Lehman murder in Hartford City?" Mm. But there's things with that. Um, I had to talk with the Hartford City Police, and uh, we don't want to divulge things unnecessarily. But we're at a point now where I don't know what we're going to not yeah. divulge, right? Right. I mean, either. Yeah, I I don't know how all the ins and outs, but you either you either want to chase it, or you either want to let it die out. We chased it, and it, you know what I mean. Like yeah, at this point, we chased it, and I. <laughs> I'd have to talk with the local police first before to see what they would. But yeah, um, I talked to the guy. Uh, me and Jeff Sons. And I, I I just think what he was selling, I wasn't buying. Yeah. And it came down to what vehicle he was driving at the time, and there's witnesses that um, heard things, and but they've since passed away because it's been 30, yeah. 31 years. But, yeah. I don't know why that one stuck with me. But it has. Well, it sticks it's, with me, and uh, because you're much closer than I, you know what yeah, I mean. We yeah. read the, I mean, the file, and anything I've learned about cold cases, is almost 
all the time. The person who did it was in the notes somewhere. Hmm. But you're talking books of notes and right. interviews and years of, uh, the, you know, the involvement with the roommate. Um, everything about him was like, ah, come on. That's just, that ain't right. But he has an alibi, right? And, right? But did he source it out? I mean, why source it out? It's just, there's, it's a fascinating case. It really is. Would that be something you'd be interested in coming back and talking about? I would, yeah, very much so. Okay. Um, because I, I think we're, we are at a point where we probably should just show all our cards, right? Right. And this is what we got. We had one uh, chip in a prayer, they call it, right? We had a piece of DNA evidence because there was a lot of blood. Sure. But DNA in 92 was... Oh, yeah, brand new. I mean... Well, yeah, it, well... It would be three or four years before OJ made DNA right. a, a national term, right? Right. But they collected it, and they had evidence, and we had a piece of floor tile, and blood splatter everywhere, and we didn't think it was his. But we sent it to a lab. All It had to go all the way to Arizona. And I've heard all these datelines of 48 hours, and like, oh, and then we finally solved it with DNA. You know, Keith Morrison is saying that it finally came through, and they had a... Well, they told us that it was too degraded, and they could only do the mitochondrial, which would be not as precise. Mm-hmm. But I told, um, or my opinion was, give me in the ballpark. Right. Good lord, I don't don't tell me it was necessarily Scott Schick, but if it's a a Schick family member, <laughs> that gives me something to work with. Right. Can they do that ethically? They could have. Okay. They could. They could have. And it, see, there's a whole other branch now involving like Ancestry.com. It, right. It's a whole other branch of forensics now where they, they have solved murders. Now, they didn't have this when we were doing that. Right. But that DNA sample, they said, here's the problem. It is very small. It will only get us mitochondrial, maybe. And if we use it, it's gone. Right. Yeah. So what'd they do? We, used, they use we tried it. Yeah. Um, because they, we didn't have anything else. Right. And it, it came back. Couldn't do anything. Too small. Wow. So all these interesting things I've seen on TV, it's like, oh, we're going to get it. Yeah, no. So it'll come down to other things, I guess. God, I hate making light of things, but when stuff comes in my head, I got to say it. Say it. You know, try that in a small town. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the other thing. It would probably blow your mind the names I was seeing in the notebooks, right? They talk yeah. to everybody. Wow. About this guy and he was from Marion he wasn't even from here that's what I thought um, but you add to the intrigue he was running for county council at the time interesting and he died you know like three weeks before election day yeah. so then right off the bat like oh my god well no it's not this isn't, <laughs> it's not election really this is a house of cards right yeah. county council isn't that important <laughs> in Blackford County they didn't murder him for that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get my stipend this guy's going down right but no, that absolutely. We could talk about that. I'd want to. I want to clear it with uh, the chief of police first, or um, and see what he's comfortable with. But it is a. It is a very. Well, I got room for multiple people in here, so I'm I'm mic'd up for four, and. Uh, so I, I tell you what. Let me let me reach out to him. We actually sat down, um, Cody and Matt and I, eh, three or four years ago, to maybe reboot it again. Yeah. We we could we went over all our notes again. You know, what we could do, but. 
there's only so many people left. Right. And it's a matter of we haven't got the confession yet. And um, as far as the roommate, that, that avenue was explored quite a bit. But, yeah, I think I Right. I mean, how could you not? I have my opinions. Yeah. Um, but it would be, yeah, probably pretty interesting podcast. Yeah. That's something to think about. Um, that's for sure. So we got some stuff uh, we can we can definitely it's our spinoff podcast of this uh, Blackford County uh, history podcast. I would like that. And one of the reasons I did want to talk too, um, I am still trying to push this uh, youth author- uh, youth sports organization. Yeah. Um, I think you are on the parks department, yeah. but I'm hoping we get some meetings up going again, but I would encourage, um, parents and people to talk to their local leaders and um, ask them about it. They should know what we're talking about, the youth sports organization, okay. about kind of combining all the sports under one um, entity to help facilitate fundraising and just um, grant money and things like sure. that, funding. Um, the last meeting we had, it went pretty well. There there are still some concerns, but you know how people are with change. Right. Understandably so. I definitely know how people are with change. <laughs> yeah, so if we can convince them, but I'm hoping that like you're on the, the, the parks board and we get it up and running again. Uh, but I would ask parents of kids to consider the benefits of it and to encourage it. Cause that's what's going to have to come. It's going to have to be a public push. Yeah. And for the, for the leaders who, who tell me they're interested. And I know yeah. we've talked about it. If you, if you discuss the ins and outs of it, it, it certainly makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. And as somebody who has um, fleshed that out at, at some point with Blackford softball and, and pulling that away from Little League and creating their own to rebuild a program that was dying in, 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 uh, on its deathbed, um, it certainly makes sense. And the intent of that was always to come back and combine all these sports organizations so you have continuity, so you have yes. leadership that can speak one language across across the board. We're not large enough to have five different organizations or whatever it is at this point, um, especially when it comes to fundraising because you start stepping on each other's toes. Yeah, uh, grandparents can only buy so many steak knives, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, There's only so many donations one can give. But a concerted effort to combine all those resources. And, like, when we played Little League, there was, what, seven, eight teams? Yeah. We had, um, the last two years I've coached, we had three teams. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And barely, barely three teams. I mean, you had a Babe Ruth. And you had Montpelier. Yeah. No Babe Ruth anymore. Yeah. Little League is three teams, barely. I mean, you're talking nine to a team. So if somebody's sick, you're two outfielders, right? Yeah. You're going to try to play it that way. If it wasn't for combining with Upland, that gave us. Upland and Van Buren Eastbrook, they've got, they had like eight teams. Yeah. So we, we hopped in with them and they kind of helped us. Yeah. But anyway, I, I did want to yeah, throw that out there and hopefully we push it and we can do something. I like it. We can bring some people in here and just have a conversation, push it out to everybody. Yeah. That would be good too. Cool. Good stuff, man. Thanks for coming by. Hey, thanks for having me. We're out of here.